I told Mitzi I sound just like Mac Powell when I sing that song. He's the lead singer of the band that originally wrote it, in case you didn't know. It's a great song. Um, I love that. That's how we should be every day, running towards God. It was a beautiful, sunny Saturday, and Hannah and her brother Joey ate lunch quickly because their parents had promised to take them on a bike ride that afternoon. Now, this, this wasn't going to be just any bike ride. Hannah had just recently been riding without her training wheels uh, for a few days, and she was excited. This was the big ride, and she was ready to go. She was going to ride her bike just like her big brother and her mom and dad. She felt like such a big kid. She was so jazzed up. She, she would just zoom around the, the parking lot and around the house on her bike uh, with no training wheels, and she was ready to go. She ate her lunch. She ran into the garage and put on her bike helmet, and she's waiting and waiting. It just seemed like forever. And finally, her parents come out. The family comes out. Everybody is ready, and they start off on their ride. And they're just they're riding around the neighborhood. They're having a great time. They're laughing. They're smiling. Hannah was doing a great job. She was keeping up. Right behind her dad, she had no trouble. Went up some little hills. And, and they just rode on and on and just having a blast. As they began to turn the corner and head for home, and, and as soon as they did that, Hannah, she just stops, hits her brakes, puts her feet, plants them firmly on the ground, and stops her bike just as fast as she could, and she looked in front of her, and she realized she was at the top of a hill. And in her mind, it was a long hill that that looked like it went on forever. And the more she looked at this hill, the bigger her eyes got, and she began to feel very small, very inadequate. Her mom and her dad and her brother Joey, they kind of had kept on riding. They were about halfway down the hill before they noticed that she, she wasn't riding with them. And so Hannah's mom rode back up the hill. And she stopped alongside her. She said, what's wrong? She said, I'm not going down that hill. I, I think I want to walk my bike down the hill, Hannah said. Her eyes were starting to fill up with tears. You've, you've probably been there uh, riding a bike or, or another moment like that. Her eyes started to fill up with tears. Her hands even started to shake a little bit at this daunting task. She was scared. And her mom said, but Hannah, you know how to ride. You, we've been riding all afternoon. You know how to use your brakes. You'll be just fine. Hannah sat on her bike and shook her head. There was no way she was going to go down that hill riding her bike. Hannah's dad came up at, at the hill and joined them and, and, and he saw the tears in Hannah's eyes. And he could tell that she was scared. He said, what's going on? That hill is too big, Daddy. I don't want to go down it, she said. But Hannah, you're doing so well again, encouraging her. Uh, you know, we're almost home. We're almost home. You can do it. Just use your brakes like I taught you. Tears started rolling down Hannah's face, thinking, what if, what if she went too fast? What, what if I crashed because I couldn't brake and, and stop the bike? She actually felt like she was too scared to move. You ever been there? Hannah's mom got off her bike and came to her. She stood next to Hannah and she said, we know you can do this. Folks, life can be hard. It, it has its moments where it's not hard. Uh, you know, like Hannah's bike ride. It, she was enjoying it. They were, they were all over the neighborhood and it was fun. And then all of a sudden, it was hard. It became not easy for Hannah. Actually, the problem with life is that life gets messy. And when, when life gets messy, we tend to get bogged down. Have you ever been bogged down? You can just say amen if you've been bogged down. That should be everybody. Uh, have you ever been bogged down in life? Have you ever been overwhelmed like Hannah with what's going on around you? She was just a girl riding her bike trying to get home and pff, big hill. Bogged down. Maybe you're bogged down with something right now. i got to tell you, as I, as I start this 
this sermon today, there's two titles for it. One is called uh, The Return Home. And, and the other one is Don't Make God's Big Things Small. And, and when you talk about being bogged down, I shared in our Sunday school class this morning, since February, there's been something continually happening in our house. Not that we brought on, not that we planned. There's been something uh, and, and, and it just keeps coming. And, and we actually decided that God is just helping us to learn to laugh through life because we laugh so that we don't cry. But there just seems every time we turn around, there's been something. But everything we sang this morning reiterated to me that it's okay because God is, God is who he is and he's our big God. And I'm not going to allow his big things to become small because of a torn ligament in my hip. I still have a job to do. We're not going to allow God's big things to become small in our life because of these distractions. And I hope as we go through this message today, it will encourage you as well. Sometimes, though, we just lose focus. As Christians, sometimes we lose our focus for, for what we're called to do. We forget, just like Hannah, that we are equipped to do it. She had the training. She had the helmet. She had everything she needed. She had the brakes. She had both feet ready to, to stop. She forgot what she was equipped to do. Max Licato even says that sometimes life is about pig slop and fish guts. That <laughs> was definitely true for the prodigal son and for Jonah. You see, the prodigal son in Luke 15, he ends up squandering his father's wealth and, and eating pig slop. And then Jonah, who rebelled from God's command to preach to Nineveh, ends up inside the belly of a big fish. And today, in week 19 of the story, we're going to see that the Jews, God's people, are at a place where they have abandoned the temple to God. And they have this abandoned temple. And you could say that they were bogged down in life. They spent many years in captivity. Uh, it was talked about last week with Daniel. They, they spent many years in captivity. They're bogged down. They're on the verge of being stuck in pig slop and fish guts again. The big question for us today is, and that I hope to answer, what does God do when we make his big thing our small thing. Will you pray with me? Father God, this morning, uh, we, we come into your presence, and I know everyone here has got some burden. Everyone here has brought something with them, whether it was a physical pain, a diagnosis, an argument. We've all brought something here with us, and, and if we allow it to, that little thing that we brought with us will begin to make your big things small. And so I pray right now that we can set those things aside. I pray that as we look at your word, as, as we look at this story, as we look at your people and the example, I pray that we can set aside these things, that we won't allow our world and the stuff that comes with it to make your big things small. Open our hearts to your word, Lord. Let us respond with action. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. The story tells us that three generations have passed in exile in Babylon, and God raises up Cyrus, a pagan king who realize, or he releases God's people to return to Jerusalem and build their temple. And we're going to start in Ezra chapter 1 today, or if you're in your story Bible, you're on page 263, chapter 19, the return home, and this is how it goes. In the first year... Of, king, of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, 
The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. I want to pause right there, because this is how awesome our God is. Three generations of captivity, and God says, okay, they've learned their lesson. It's time. And he turns the heart of Cyrus, the Persian king, toward the Jews, and Cyrus releases them to return home to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the temple. But why does God make such a big deal about his temple? Why does he care about a building? Well, there's a couple of reasons at this point in in our study why he cares about that. One of them is God's passion. The temple is a picture of God's passion. It's, it's, if you will, it's a physical place where God desires to dwell among his people. That's why the temple was a big deal to God back then. It was a place for his people to come to worship where he could dwell among them. Number two, God's problem. God's problem is that he knows that sin separates his people and the world from him. And, and he knows that's where they've been. The next thing is God has a solution. He requires a blood sacrifice. That's why, he needs, that's why the temple needs to be there. So that we can regain access to his presence. So that his people then could regain access to his presence. And at the time, the temple is where that sacrifice took place. And now because God desires to be with his people, and he knows that sin has separated his people from him, he requires sacrifice for the forgiveness of that sin, he's going to use this king to do something amazing. Scott shared with you all last week how God's people have been in exile in Babylon and how Daniel and his friends remained faithful to God during that time. And now we arrive at a place in the story where the people of God are allowed to return home with the task of rebuilding the temple. They were even given supplies from this pagan king to do that. Now, God's people, they begin well. They go back and they start with, with vigor. They're excited they're, they're, they're starting to build the temple. They're, they're cleaning stuff up. They're getting on it. But then they lose focus. They get bogged down. They, they actually get to a place where they're so bogged down by what's going on around them that, that rebuilding the temple, the very thing that, that Cyrus sent them to do, comes to a standstill. God's big thing becomes small. They're at a place where they become so bogged down in, in their life that sadly they kind of return to their homes. And, and Scripture tells us, as you read through this this week, you'll read this story, that, that they become focused on their own homes rather than focused on God and on the temple. And that, but how can this happen? They just came from three generations of captivity, and they, they've been set free to go and, and rebuild the temple. They've been given the tools, they've been given the material, They've been given like free like letters from the king that give them passage, that give them everything they need. Why would they stop? These are God's people. They're doing this great work for the Lord. Why would they stop? Let's look at Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, or page 256 in your story Bible, about halfway down. Verse 4 says, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1 says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time 
Esarhaddon had king of Assyria who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. This is where it gets tricky. Here it is. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. Are there people like that in your life? Are there people around you who, who they've just set out to discourage you? These people, they bribe the officials to work against them, verse 5, and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. We're going to jump down to verse 24 um, in your Bible, or top of page 266 in your story Bible. Here's the verse right here. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second reign, second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The work on the house of the Lord came to a standstill. The work God had called his people to do came to a standstill. And the real unfortunate thing is, is it wasn't just a small pause. They stopped and abandoned the temple for 16 years because people wrote letters about them. That's really what it was. A decree was written to make it difficult for them. And they stopped the work that God called them to do. I pray that the work God has called us to do here at Huntsville Christian Church will never come to a standstill like that. We see that here in the Israelites. And here's the thing. It doesn't take much. It's just a bit of distraction. You know, Satan would rather deal with, with thousands of distracted Christians than 50 that are focused on what God has called them to do. And here the Israelites are. You, you would think they would seek out God and ask for His assistance. But instead, we see in Scripture, they begin to build their own houses. They begin to, 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 to work and make their own homes comfortable and fine. God sees that His people have become bogged down. And because of the world around them, He sees they, they've allowed His big thing to become small. And so God raises up the prophet Haggai, and he goes to get their attention. And to call the people back to their primary task of building God's temple. We're going to look at uh, Haggai verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, still on page 266 in your story Bible. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Haggai, he's kind of like the tow truck right now, if you will. They're bogged down. The whole bunch of them are bogged down in what they're supposed to do. And he's kind of like Tow Mater from Disney's car movie. He's like, hey y'all, it's time to get busy. That's what he's telling them. He, you got scared. You got bogged down. You stopped doing what we called you to do. You stopped the work on the temple because what a man said to you. And you started to build your house with your paneled walls. Which I like that. To think that paneled walls are fine living. You remember paneled walls from back in the day. A fine living right there. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Crack me up sometimes. You stopped working on the temple because of what a man said. You built your house with paneled walls. You, you've misplaced your priorities. How about you guys? Have you, have you misplaced your priorities lately? 
Have you been spending so much time working on your own stuff that you've allowed God's big things in your life to become small again? I know Scott challenged you all last week to to seek out what God would have you do here at Huntsville Christian Church and in our community so that we can be a better reflection of Christ. And you've heard me say before, we're going to spend the next 10 years like there are our first 10 years in this community. That means we have to make sure of our priorities. We need to make sure that they're no longer misplaced. We need to make sure that, that our personal priorities, as well as our church's priorities, are where they should be. Now, I'm not saying we've broken anything, but let's check our priorities. And while we're checking our priorities, let's look at how God responds when we've misplaced them. Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 11 says this, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. It's the second time he says that. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of, the, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields. And the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces. On people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Do you hear all that? We can learn so much from this situation, from what Haggai said. Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to give careful thought to our ways. You know what that means. You know what's right and you know what's wrong in your life. But, But when was the last time you gave careful thought to your ways? You, you may not be doing anything horrendous. Give careful thought to your ways. Like I said, Satan would rather have a thousand distracted Christians than 50 who are focused. Give careful thought to your ways. Here, right here is an example of God sending seasons of trial and suffering to call his people to their purpose. He, he sends a severe time of testing. But not all testing is a result of sin. Sometimes God sends trials to wake us up, to encourage us, to examine our ways. In this case, God's people had forgotten their initial passion. They started off, man, they were on it. They were, they were ready to build this temple, and they forgot what they were called to do. Has this ever happened to you? Have, have you ever forgotten your passion? Max Locato talks about this. He, he calls it the closet of forgotten passions, and, and it's in his house, and it's a real closet. Maybe you've got one of these closets, or, or maybe it's a room. Maybe you're kind of a hoarder and you didn't know it, and you have this room of forgotten passions. He says in his closet of forgotten passions, there's a telescope from when he had a passion for astronomy. There's a, te- there's a telescope, real live telescope. Well, not a live telescope, but a real telescope. And it's in this closet of forgotten passion. He says in this closet of forgotten passion, he has a stepping stone kit that he was going to do around the garden. That never got done. I don't know if you've seen my garage, but it's somewhat a garage of forgotten passion. There's stuff in there from years ago. <laughs> I had to laugh at myself. He says, in, in, in this, this closet of forgotten passion, there are boxes of photos that have never been arranged in albums. <laughs> I'm not looking at my wife. 
that's true. Hers is just a dresser, mine's a whole garage. But it's a good illustration. It's, it happens. Do you have one of these closets? Don't let me be the only one. Maybe, maybe you, like me, you've got one of these storage sheds of forgotten passion. I'm going to do that one day, and I'm going to keep it, and as soon as I get rid of it, I'm going to wish I had it so I could go do it. It just happens that way. Folks, our God can never be put into the closet of lost passion. Our God doesn't belong there. He is either the big thing in your life or He's nothing in your life. That's the reality. God is going to call us from the distractions that pull us from His purpose. And just like He did with the kingdom of Judah, He'll allow seasons of testing. He'll allow you to go through things to get us back on track to fulfill His purpose. I like what C.S. Lewis said. I think it sums it up well. He wrote, if we put first things first, we get the second things thrown in. But if we put second things first, we lose both the first and the second things. Makes sense. You know, the, the prodigal son, he repented. He left the pig slopping and he returned home. And Jonah repented and he got out of the fish guts and he, he, he preached his message. And in our story today, the Jews repented. The kingdom of Judah repented. And they finished the temple for God. They came home and did what they were supposed to do. And Hannah, the little girl from my opening illustration, stuck at the top of her big hill, bogged down. You know what happened to her? Her mom told her, Honey, we wouldn't make you do something that you weren't ready to do. How about I stand next to you? I keep my hand on the seat of your bike. I won't let you fall. Hannah's hands were still shaking, tears still in her eyes, and she was still scared, but she thought, I know my mom won't let me fall. She's bigger and stronger than me. I know she doesn't want me to get hurt. Hannah's mom knelt beside her and wiped away the tears on her cheek. She said, you know that I love you and that you can trust me, Hannah. How about we ride down to that tree and stop? And she pointed to a little tree a ways away. Hannah looked at her mom, and then she looked at the tree. She was still scared, but she trusted her mom. And after a minute, she nodded her head. Hannah's mom put her hand on the bike seat. Hannah put her feet on the pedals and started down that hill. She wobbled a little bit as she pedaled, but after a few seconds, she was next to that tree that her mom had pointed at. She braked, just like her dad had taught her, feet down on the ground, stopped right next to it. She could hear her dad cheering and her brother. They were so excited. She'd done it. Her mom said, Hannah, I'm so proud of you. You trusted me and knew that I wouldn't let you fall. Let's see if we can make it the rest of the way down the hill. Hannah smiled at her mom. She wasn't crying or shaking anymore. In fact, she was starting to have fun again. Hannah made it all the way down the hill, even did part of it without her mom running beside her. A few minutes later, they were back home. The family sat down under a shade tree in their front yard, and Hannah's mom brought out some popsicles for everyone. No, I don't have popsicles for you. That would have been a good idea. <laughs> this whole story re- reminds me of how God just wants his people to trust him. To stay focused to the task at hand. The kingdom of Judah went back. They started out strong and they got sidetracked. It's the same thing for us. Each, each week we start out strong. We come out of here, I do at least, jazzed up, ready to take on the world and then I throw a ligament in my hip and I'm like a wounded race car going into pit row for a little while. We just get distracted. We need to trust that God wants us, that God will be there for us to do the work that he's called us at, to stay focused on our task at hand, to be a reflection of him. God raised up the prophet Haggai to get the attention of his people. 
to call them back to their primary task of building his temple. What's God calling you to do? What Maybe he's used something in your life this week and you're just now realizing he used that to call you back to a primary task of being a reflection of him. I don't know if you need to repent from something to return to your first love. Do you need to return to your first passion for God? Has God been speaking to you through a season of testing? If he is, are you listening? Are you like Hannah? Did you, do you forget that you're equipped for the task at hand? He didn't just send us out. He's equipped us with what we need. He's equipped us with, with, with people to walk alongside of us. He's equipped us with his word. He's equipped us with the Holy Spirit. He's equipped us with forgiveness of sin. He's equipped us to do what we've been called to do. We don't need to be like Hannah. We don't need to be afraid of that hill. Maybe you're like the Israelites, the, the nation of Judah. You're distracted from God's purpose for your life by the people around you. The people that are, that are sending out the decree. The people writing the bad letter about you. <laughs> There's a whole other sermon on that. Uh, sorry. I thought about some of the letters I've gotten over the years. and I'll stop. Maybe you're distracted from that. How's that happening? And what are you going to do to stop it? Because only you can change your mindset when the people around you are trying to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. If you've been doing things halfway for God, then it's time to commit to come back and make God's big things your big things. Whatever that is for you, let that be your response today. Do you need to start making God's big things your big things by submitting to baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? We can do that. Maybe for you to make God's big things your big things, you need to seek out some accountability in life or some prayer for something. Our elders are here. They'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that and, and what that can look like. Maybe for you it's time to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church to help us stay on track of making God's big things, of keeping God's big things our big things. Whatever your response is today, will you stand and sing with us and respond to God's word? And let's think about how we can make God's big thing our big thing again. Amen. Uh, Y'all stay right there, uh, just so they can all stare at you a little bit. I understand the brakes went out or messed up in your van. You getting that taken care of today, correct? All right. So, see, they already started off and had some brake issues. So, uh, that's being dealt with. So, we keep you safe. Uh, Hey, it's been great to worship with you all this morning, to look at God's passion and to get a glimpse of His desire to be among us and to see and to understand God's problem better. He knows that sin separates us from Him. He knows that Satan would rather see us divided and distracted and not focused on making his big thing our big thing. And so, it doesn't, it doesn't take much. It doesn't have to be something scandalous, just something little to shift our focus. The best part about being with you all today is that we have an understanding of God's solution. We have an understanding of how he allowed his son to, to be the final blood sacrifice so we can gain access to his presence. I truly love being here with you all, but now it is time to go. As you go this week, think on these things and think about what God has called you to do. Make sure that God's big thing in your life remains the big thing in your life. As you continue to read through the story, keep this in mind so that we're not just reading the story, but we're living it. And like I said before, grab one of these guys on their way out. Let them know you're going to be praying for them. Will you sing this last song with us?